Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bergstein, and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax and accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. All right. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Jason Stein joining you here with Mr. David Bergstein, my partner in crime and right-hand man. And uh, we are excited about the topic today, how to build a successful firm, the guide to the $9 million firm. And joining us, we have Mr. Jody Grundon. Jody, how are you? Thanks for being here. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So Jody, tell us about yourself. You, you've built yourself a $9 million firm. We want to hear this story. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, we started back in 2002, so it, it wasn't an overnight success by any means. Uh, we started out as a traditional, what I would consider a traditional CPA firm. We did uh, tax and write-up work and, you know, the, just all the boring stuff that accountants do, right? So we did all that, and we, we billed by the hour. We did, you know, really everything else basically the same way. Uh, however, when we founded the firm, we wanted to do things a lot differently. And one of the first things we, we we wanted to do differently is we wanted to dress differently, right? We didn't want to have the suit and tie. Now, now no one wears a suit and tie anymore, or it's very, very rarely is a suit and tie worn, you know, as an accountant. So that's that's one of the big things. The other one was is that we knew the hourly billing thing wasn't the trick and wasn't a long-term play for us, but we didn't know really how to do anything different, right? So we we kind of played with it a little bit. I got some history, figured out why we hated it. Um and uh, we developed a different model altogether. We called it uh, subscription-based billing. And it was kind of like a value-based billing type of system. So we thought we'd try that and see how that worked and worked extremely well. Um, and we just kind of did a little bit things, that, you know, just a little differently all, 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 you know, all the way from, again, the way we dressed to the way we acted. You know, one of the big things we thought is, you know, you know we both had, you know, well, at least I had worked for a um, couple of other accounting firms and worked a bazillion hours during busy season. And that's something I just didn't want to carry forward and do on this one. It kind of just made me even cringe thinking about it, that I'd have employees that'd be working that much. And so um, I, I thought, you know what, we're going to, we're going to cut it at 40, 45 hours a week. We're going to have to figure this model out so that we don't have a traditional uh, tax season. Because again, tax season is only there because all the stuff, you know, you get all that, you get all the junk at the end of the year, and then you have to figure it out, and you have to kind of mold it together, and then you put the tax turn together. And we had to figure a way that can can actually do that throughout the year, and um, you know, so that the tax turns is simply, you know, just clicking. You know, I, I say it's a real simple at that point, but it's just, it's a real simple process. It doesn't take much time. So we, we we tried to work for different ways we can actually do that. And fortunately, we 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 came up with a pretty successful model for us. It wasn't successful when it first started. You know, just like anything, we were trying a lot of different things and almost put ourselves out of the business doing it. But uh, once we figured it out, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it basically started humming along. I got a question on that model. Mm-hmm. You keep talking about the model, but is it the traditional model of being in an office or uh, you, you change the way it should be? Yeah, good question. Back in 2004, yeah, it was the traditional way of being in an office. It wasn't until 2013 uh, that we were actually to, were able to really fine tune it. Uh, we, we called it virtual CFO services. Uh, some people call it CAS, you know, all these different, there's different uh, names for it. But uh, the way it worked is that we wanted to actually be the CFO for small businesses 
Um, it, you know, because large businesses, they can afford a CFO. They've got them on the staff. They've got a lot of accounting professionals. They've got it covered, but the small businesses couldn't afford it. And so we wanted to be that CFO for the small business. And we knew the only way we could do that is if we did it virtually, and virtually meaning through the internet, because it, it, it just didn't make sense. There's no way we could scale it if I'm going in, into all these different business owners' places of work, doing the work for them, and then leaving. I couldn't, you can't scale that. You can't even scale it if they come to our office and do it. So the only way we could actually scale it was if we actually did it virtual, where we were taking out all the commute time back and forth uh, to the client. And so we did that virtually with the clients. And then, you know, as we got better and better with it, you know, we, uh, you know, at that time, we were still brick and mortar. All of our team was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, small, you know, small Fort Wayne, Indiana. And with that, we were trying to think, well, you know, we got the, well, we got this opportunity to work for in uh, that uh, wanted us to do the exact same service virtually. And we're like, I think we could do this virtually. And so we, uh, we, we did it and we kind of perfected it, you know, use that as our very first model. You know, we've never done it before. You know, we took that lead phase, that risk that, you know, a lot of CPA do all the time, not really, but, you know, with that, they uh, take that risk and it, it worked out really well. We figured out what to do right, what we could do, what was doing wrong. And then we kind of replicated that model and kind of kept on improving it. So we're about two years later in 2013, we thought, you know what, why aren't we virtual? You know, we're, we're virtual with all of our clients. Why aren't we virtual amongst ourselves? And so I, I brought the idea to the uh, the team. And at that time, again, we were 18 people, brick and mortar, had my own office because I own, I was the landlord, owned my own office building and everything. And I came to them in more meetings and said, you know what, you know, we're going to go even one step further, guys. We're going to completely go virtual. And uh Man, you could hear a pin drop. You know, everybody's like waiting for the punchline, and and the punchline never came. You know, it was like, you know, they they can't do this. You know, we can't we can't go virtual because we're, you know, uh, you know, basically an I type personality, very very you know you know very very you know we're, we're, you know we we want to be around people. You know, we can't collaborate. You know, we can't do all the things that we're doing for our clients. We can't do that personally. And it's like, well, I didn't get it, but it was, the whole thing is I didn't want to lose my accounting firm. So I kind of came in and I put about a hundred thousand dollars into the building that we're working on. And uh, the funny thing was it took about six weeks. We did the entire building um, and, and we put in really cool conference room. We put in TVs in all the offices. It was pretty sweet. And by the time we got done with that building, uh, people didn't want to come back. They're like, you know what? We figured out how to work virtual. This is pretty cool. Don't have to travel. You know, all the positive things that we're figuring out that we figured out, you know, fast forward to now through COVID, we figured out back then. It was like, you know, it was a real positive thing. And so what we decided to do is like, you know, hey, people love this. I'm going to keep the building just for another six months or so, just to make sure this virtual thing is going to work out. And then once I realized it, it was boom, off and running. And from there on, we never hired a person in Fort Wayne or not on purpose at least or even in Indiana for that part, uh, very limited. So our, our team automatically spread out from Portland, Indiana to basically the United States, all throughout the United States. We're looking to get into Canada and we're, uh, we have uh, folks over in India and, and we have folks, you know, kind of spread throughout. So it, it, it was a kind of a neat, neat thing that happened, you know, very much on, on purpose, but completely accidental once it, once it didn't work out, you know, once I gave in and then it just kind of blew up. So we kind of figured out how to work remotely, you know, how, how to work remotely, how to work with the clients remotely, you know, all throughout that process. And so it's kind of a funny thing. You know, we've got, we've got like maybe four people on a call all throughout somewhere in the United States, maybe one in Indonesia or whatever. And we've got the client who may have three people on their call, on their team spread throughout, none of us in the same location and working, working the model extremely well. 
You you beat everybody else that waited for COVID and is still trying to figure it out. You really from going from eighteen people, how many people do you have now? Yeah, right now we're we're I think we're hitting the 60, 60 person mark. So we 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 just did uh, we'll do nine about a little over nine million dollars in revenue this year. Um, most of that being on about 45, 50 people. We've added a lot of new people just recently uh, because we double our size about every three years. So we're hoping to hit that $20 million mark in three years. And so we're trying to prep now for that. And so, yeah, it, it, it's been a definitely a different ride from 18 people back then to, to 60 people. It's pretty, uh, pretty unreal. Well, Jody, I, I think I just heard a loud swoosh of thousands of people submitting their resumes to you on your website. <laughs> 40 hour work weeks unheard of in our profession, remote work and the attire, right? Um, no more sports coat requirement or suit and tie. Uh, not that that's the point here, obviously, but you might want to check your servers and make sure they didn't take it down. Um, <laughs> so Jody, tell us more about why are these factors playing a role in your firm's success in the bottom line. Like, you're, like the dress code is a, is a good example. That's a very intentional decision that you made. What about has to do with driving your success? Because it's so contrary to the, the mindset that, that has been in our profession for so long. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because from the very beginning, we wanted to dress differently because when I worked at a manufacturing company who brought auditors on, we always called them the suits and we always flipped the coin on who was going to take the suits out for dinner and stuff like that. And I was like, but so when I started this firm, I'm like, well, I don't want to be a suit. I want to be different. I want to be them part of the, part of that team. And uh, so I thought, you know, with our, with our client base, you know, being between like, like a million, the, the top 10, 30 million, you know, we don't have any clients that are the wall street type where we actually have to wear a suit and tie or expected to wear a suit and tie. You know, they don't, our, our clients don't expect us to be on a zoom call with a suit and tie. They want us to be like them. You know, because a lot of them maybe never went to college. You know, they they're running a business successful, and they're 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 just an entrepreneur. And uh, with that, we want to be like them. And so, you know, the 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 visual thing is a big part of it, but also the way that we talk to the clients is also a big part of it. We don't talk accounting to them. You know, we don't bore them with gap. They don't know what gap means. You know, we know we know what gap means, but they don't care about that. You know, they want to know how many widgets or how many trucks or how many haircuts or whatever that might be. They need to do. In order to hit the the end goals, and so when we're forecasting with a client, you know, we never say, "Yeah, you need to increase your you know sales by 10, 15 percent." Here's what your end, end result's going to be. We always talk about, "Hey, this is how many haircuts you need to do each day, or you need to pick it up, or here's how many trucks you need to run through the shop, or here's how many hours that your team needs to bill, you know, or, or whatever that might be, so that they can actually control it." So now they've got a game plan. You're like, "Oh, okay, well that's how I need to do it. If I have 10 more haircuts, I'm going to hit my end goal. Yep, that's how you're going to do it." And then what we can do then is we can recap at the end of the month and we when, after that month's over and say, okay, you had uh, only five haircuts, you know, a day or whatever it was, and you need seven, you know, what, what happened there? And then, then the excuses come out. Well, here's the reasons, you know, why? And then we do we, then we, we come back, well, is that going to be the norm going forward? Or are we going to actually push to get that? Or we're going to push to get that. So keep it steady or no, that's going to be the norm going forward. So then we adjust our forecast down. Now that we look at it and say, well, now that's going to put you on the line of credit in December. Are you okay with that? No, not really. Well, then we need to do something a little different. Maybe we need to increase our, our rates a little bit to cover the cost, the fact that we can't bring as many bodies in or, or whatever that might be. And then we're playing with the modeling numbers and it comes up to that the end goal. And the client's super, super excited now because now they can see the end goal. They know how to, how to impact that end goal. And, and it really makes it, you know, it really makes a huge difference for the client. So, and that comes all the way from the way that we dress and the way that we talk with the client. And then the way that we break everything out, it, we put we put ourselves on the same level as the client, 
not above the client. You know, nobody wants to be above that level. We don't have to prove that we're successful. That's kind of the, you know, that's that that's the you know that that's what that's what it takes to be us, right? And so we're already there, and we put ourselves on that on that line, and really kind of helps everything go, and, and and the clients appreciate it, and it really helps them develop that dynamic. They relate. They relate to you very well because you're relating to them. You you've changed the culture of your firm way ahead of everybody else. A phrase came to mind: a lion doesn't need to declare that it's a lion, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so I I love that that perspective that you have, and 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 like I said before, what I what I especially love about your approach is it's. It's very intentional with purpose and principles behind it mm-hmm. that are yep. that are in service to connecting with your clients, and that's something I talk about all the time when I'm out, you know, um, delivering talks or, or or interacting with folks as well. Is, um, you know, you don't you don't need to worry so much about using the exact right technical terms when dealing with clients. It's more important to them that they feel like you truly care and you're truly invested in their outcomes and and them achieving their goals and their dreams. And that shows up in the conversations you were just telling me about the way that you navigate a conversation, right? About we're doing the forecasting, here's the number of haircuts you need to get, right? To get to this number. And then they say, well, you know, we having trouble with this or that. And then you reforecast for show them the truth. And, and it's, it becomes very apparent, but they're still in control, right? So you can say, right. is that where you want to be? And they may say, yeah, I'm okay with that. Because we know that in the spring, we're going to pick back up and it's going to rebalance and you know mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, or it's a wake-up call. But you're speaking to them in a way that, that matches to their business, not just showing them numbers and saying, this is what it is. Um, right. And then you help them come up with ideas. And that's exactly what these businesses need is they need mm-hmm. that expertise and that experience from, from you or their account, whoever they're dealing with, to, to, to help them think differently. Um, mm-hmm. Because they just don't, they don't put the rigor into for, forecasting their financials. They don't know what's going to happen you know, with the decisions that they're making or the mindset that they might be having uh, that, that's going to happen six months down the road. Yeah. And that's how, I guess, you've transitioned to advisory services by pushing the CFO services. You relate to your clients, they love it. But let me ask you the question on the back end. Mm-hmm. How often do you work with technology to make sure that you totally have a digital office? I think that's a big part of your success mm-hmm. that everything's running automated behind the scenes. How, how do you stay current and how often do you change uh, your tool set? Yeah, good, good question. So technology is vital to our success. So we, we look at three areas of success. You got technology, the processes, and people. All three have to be really in harmony in order to make everything work. If one thing's out of line, then it, everything kind of falls apart. Technology is great, but people can't handle it. Well, then obviously we're not going to go anywhere. So technology is something that we focus a lot in. And we actually spend we spend a lot of money. We've got, we have four data analysts that uh, help our team through uh, different technology issues. Uh, we have a director of technology that's constantly monitoring new technology and, and introducing it. And, and like David said, we're very quick to make a change. You know, if we see something that is going to be a better thing, because technology is changing all the time. You know, what was great five years ago may not be great today. And we don't want to get stuck with that in our process and have be that, you know, so integral to it. We can't change. You know, we, we're very nimble when it comes to that. So we're constantly making changes. And we don't make changes for change sake. It's got to be a benefit to it, right? So there's got to be something in there that's going to help our team get things through quicker. You know, it could be that we did, you know, something on Excel 
and we were spending three hours on Excel, but this new software, by using it, we can integrate everything in it and we can do it maybe 15 minutes. Huge time savings, definitely worth looking at. And that's when we actually make that change. So it's it's important that we stay on top of technology. We're Again, we're constantly looking at it, but, but being able to pull the trigger is the big part. And we do. When our technology director says, hey, this is a definite thumbs up, uh, boom, we're on to the newest technology. And that could, that could take as, as quick as a day or two. Or maybe, you know, three or four months if we've got to test it out a little bit further. But we're very, very quick from the time we identify the issue till we actually have a, a solution in place. And in building that firm, I think this is one of Jason's favorite questions. How often do you bill a client or how do you bill a client? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny, too, because that's something that when we bootstrapped the company, it was just me at first. I completely had no money. I just left a, another company. I, the only thing I had is my 401k, and I'm embarrassed to say I had maybe $20,000 into it. So I, I cashed out my had a ton of credit, bootstrapped the whole thing, would never recommend that to anybody out there. So please don't get me bad for that. <laughs> but uh, that's how we started. And I didn't have the money to be the accounts receivable. You know, first of all, I was the accounts receivable for people. I was the bank. You know, I invoiced people out, and I'd get collections every 30 to 60 days or sometimes 90 depending upon what the client wanted to pay. And it was just something I just couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't keep. I had to come up with a way or figure out a way that I could actually stay in business, service these clients, and you know, have cash. And so I thought, you know, why don't I start collecting money up front for the service that I wanted to provide? And I thought, this is a pretty cool idea. So we kind of went with that idea. And then it's like, well, how would I do that? The only way I could do that is if I flat fee or value-based the price so the client knew what it was. And so that's what we're doing. We started taking clients we, we we had existingly that were just tax return clients or maybe a monthly write-up client. We started offering these different services, but instead of charging them one time at the end of the year, we broke it out into 12 payments and said, you know, hey, here's what we're going to do. And, and we, we we worked along. And so now we're getting our money on a regular monthly basis versus at the end of the year. So kind of getting that tax return stuff. But, it, but what happened was we thought, hey, let's take it one step further. So let, let's not worry about the collection process because it's kind of awkward when you're talking to a client that's maybe struggling with cash and you're on the meeting with them and you're trying to tell, tell them what bills to pay and, and yours always is going to be the one coming up, right? You're probably the biggest bill there maybe. And so we thought, let's get that out of the conversation. So we just started automatically ACHing their account. Every month on, on the first day of the month, we went through an automatic ACH and clients loved it. No pushback whatsoever. And so we were taking a thousand bucks out or whatever the dollar amount was out every single, you know, once a month. Well, then we thought, you know what? We want to be part of the team. A vendor gets their, gets their payments once a month and an employee gets their payments weekly or biweekly. Let's, let's do the same thing. Let's in that same, same, same position, same threshold. So we thought, well, let's go ahead and divide it into 52 now instead of 12, you know, for that annual payment there. And let's take it out weekly. And we started doing that probably in 2000, probably six or seven, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, from there, we've always done it. So we, we get our payment up front every single week, every Monday. So every Monday is a fun day for me. Uh, that's when we actually get all the money coming in the bank account. And it's set up automatic ACH and, and kind of goes from there. So the kind of the cool thing about it, we called it subscription-based billing back then. Um, and, and with that, we've always used it. And the nice thing about it is that we had to come up with a way that we could actually price our products so, that, so it was very clear. We couldn't bill hourly. That wouldn't work. I don't know how it would work. And maybe it would work. but we want the client to know exactly how much is coming out of their account every single Monday. And then the only way that we would actually change that number is if there's a change, which then the client would be aware of, sign off on it, and then the $2 amount would come out the next Monday. 
but we also wanted to make it so that there was no hurdles to it so that, you know, we made it on a weekly engagement. So basically when it sign up for a service with us, they could cancel anytime they want, you know, they can cancel tomorrow if they wanted to, there's no penalty. There's no long term contract. It's just an agreement that we put together with engagement letter statement of work so that we actually had the ability to, or they had the ability to turn us off anytime they would just like an employee, you know, no different. And that's how we wanted to be uh, as part of their team. We wanted to be on their team. And, and, and by the, by the way that we build, it was kind of funny. It, it got us even close to that. And, and they are, they do feel like part of their team. We, we get invited all the time to different parties, different events that they might have, you know, our, not, not the whole, not our whole team, but their CEO or their accountants on the team or whatever. Um, it, it is, they, they feel truly that they're part of that team and uh, which makes it really big. And so billing was a big part of it. And uh, subscription-based billing, we did it a value-based uh, system. It, it, it worked out really, really well. It's something that we fine-tuned all the way through the day to where that I have a prospect call. I literally am on the, on the prospect call for an hour, half an hour. We're talking about you know what what they have, what issues they have. The other half an hour, we're actually bot- modeling out. No different than what we we're talking about earlier. They're in control of the pricing. Here's what we want. Here's what we don't want. Here's we're clicking things off and on. And here's the price. And they know exactly what the price is by the time they leave. And because of that, we our average sales about sixty-five thousand dollars, sixty to sixty-five thousand dollars a year. That's our average client. And we pick up about thirty to forty clients a year at that at about a forty percent closing ratio. So it's a, it's a very dynamic thing. Even if we don't pick up the, the client, they love the way that it's built. They love the way that the process is it's so straightforward. They can pick it. It's kind of like like. The Carvana's out there in the world, or the Netflix is out there in the world, or, or whatever. And it's a similar type of a model, and uh, it, it really works well for them. I think that's really cool. I love the the part about the the no cancellation fees, no long term contracts. Right? You are clearly not afraid of clients, no. and I hear from so many people when we talk about change, some sometimes small changes, but especially with transformational change, you know, like switching to. From away from hourly billing, which a lot of people are still using um, towards these subscription services. And the first thought that crosses their mind is, my, my clients aren't going to pay more. They're not going to want to pay me more. I'm going to lose clients. And the, the reality is, is that if you're you're delivering on the, the way you need to be, they're not going to leave. So Jody, let's come back to, let's stay with that for a minute, because one of the things that people tell me, and sort of in that same vein is, how do I have this conversation with my client? How do you present your pricing model to these folks and, and that, that so successfully gets them on board with it? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question um, because the, the, the metrics that we, that we actually work with as a CPA firm are not the hourly bill or the bill average or the utilization or anything like that that a traditional firm looks at. We, our metric is basically our retention rate. You know, we want our retention rate to be uh, greater than ninety percent, and right now we're at a ninety-four percent retention rate. So we we don't lose many clients, you know, which is which is a cool thing. Uh, the other thing is how fast can we grow? You know, what's our acceleration rate on new clients and velocity and so forth? And we 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 need to pick up an average of four and a half clients a month, um, at, you know, over a twelve-month period, and that's kind of what our velocity is now, and that's what we're hitting. So those are the kind of things that we look at: how fast can we pick clients up. And then, you know, how, how, how long can we keep the clients? Because we want to keep them at a high rate. We don't want to lose clients fast from picking up. So that, that all comes back to a lot of factors. That comes back to our sales process and our onboarding process are really the two big factors there. And with the, with the sales process that you're talking about, it, like I said, it's really, really quick. It's an hour long. 
we, we go through the client, you know, we, we you know, it, it's a Zoom call in person. You know, I very, very rarely have I met my clients face to face, never really shaking their hands. They don't really want to. <laughs> and uh, with that, they, they want they want to provide the service virtually. So that, that's the cool part. Uh, they know we're virtual because they're reaching out to us. We don't reach out to them, which is kind of nice. And uh, with that, the process, it goes very smoothly. We find out what issues they might be having. We find out what we will be replacing, all the different questions and concerns and that they have. You know, they let us know, like, right off the bat. We record all the conversations from the very beginning. And I'll kind of get back to that here in a sec. And uh, with that, we go through our pricing model with them at that point. So once we've identified all the issues, then it's real simple. We, we pull our pricing model right up, right on the screen, and we start clicking things off that they want. Let's say that they have a bookkeeper on staff. They don't want to replace that person. So we'll click no, 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 no on all these different processes that we would that we're going to give to the bookkeeper. You know, that we're going to keep that bookkeeper. We're not going to do payables. We're not going to do receivables. We're not going to do X, Y, Z. Oh, but we they do want us to replace their tax person, so we're going to do their tax stuff. We click those things on yes. Oh, they want modeling and forecasting. We click that on. Oh, they want to meet weekly, or do they want to meet uh, you know once once a month? Oh, they want to meet weekly. We click that on. You know, and we start clicking things off and on what the client wants, and we kind of craft that model for the client at the end there it shows at the very bottom there here's the price and so like well that's a little bit more than i wanted to why don't you guys why don't we why don't you guys take back the tax stuff we'll, we'll keep that in-house so we click off the tax stuff oh okay that's perfect that's exactly what we wanted and, and so it gives the client control of the pricing and we we get very very we get pushback we never get we never clients never ask us for discounts you know it is what it is they can see it and, they, and they've got control over it which is really cool um, but but the whole thing is again that that creates that really high confidence from the very beginning, very vanilla, very you know the scope is lined out perfectly for them, and so they see exactly what they want. And we know what they want, and so then we take that information, we put it in writing in a statement of work. So it's a, here's all the different things we talked about. Here's what we're going to do, but more importantly, here's all the things we're not going to do. You know, you said no to all these things. I ain't doing any of those things. So don't ask me why we didn't do payroll when you said no. <laughs> you know that type of thing. And so then sign that and the engagement starts, but that's kind of back to that recording. So we're done with that. We push the recording onto the onboarding team so they can then listen to it. They can listen to all the client's issues. You know what the client had, the purpose of it, the, the new CFO can hear all that information. So they don't have to ask the same thing over and over again. And maybe the client told me and forgot to tell them and there's lost in translation type of stuff. No, you're everything. Client love it because again, it, it, it's just one step that they have to worry about. And, and it works well. And so then our onboarding team takes it for the first eight weeks and they go through and they'll they'll do everything that, you know, that, that said, they'll find out what's the most important thing to the client. You know, do they want us to tackle their accounting first or do they want us to hit, really hit this really head on? Maybe they've got an issue they want us to tackle. We find that out right away. And so that we can kind of rearrange the onboarding to, to match the client. Because again, the retention rate is so important and that, that success is really important there. So then we step out back, we step back and, and we, we do the dreaded thing. We ask the client how well we did. <laughs> every single week during that onboarding process. So we, they rate us red, yellow, or green. Hey, you guys are doing green, green, yellow, low. You know, basically you guys were slow on response rate or something like that. Uh, and so then now we can fix it. Okay. They want a better response rate. Expectations a little different than maybe the last client. You know, we, we, you know, now we know what that expectation is. And so we do that on a constant basis. And then every six months after they go through the onboarding, uh, we go through you know, and, and they go through an MPS score. So now, now, now rate us and how well we're doing. And we go through and ask those questions, whether they do the NPS on a, um, you know, on a regular NPS system, or we'll actually give the final call and just ask mm-hmm. them, hey, how are things going? How's, 
how's Judy doing on, you know, with, with the, with the stuff, you know, and they'll, they'll give us the good and bad and ugly. And then we can make those changes and correct it. Because again, our number one thing is not billable hours. It's not utilization. It's retention rate. We want to make sure those clients are happy with us and stay with us for a long time. And then that's really key to the whole success <laughs> here. Cause again, we're not cheap. You know, we're 65, 70,000, sometimes a hundred thousand dollars for a client. You know, we want to make sure that they're happy and we don't want to lose big clients. And so that's the importance of it is to really keep on top of that, but really deliver a consistent you know, process and message all the way through. You're giving them client satisfaction and that's worth a lot of money and value, but it's unique with what you're saying there with the high retention rate. You're really always upselling because you're not selling a tax return or payroll taxes. You're giving them a list. And one of the things I think they say, if you're servicing a client and you're giving them more than four types of services, the stickiness goes up and you sound like the way you broke it down. And I've looked at your website, mm-hmm. you got 30, 40, 50, 60 types of services. But the beauty of that is they know what they didn't pick and they won't go anyplace else because they know you're offering it. The funny thing is, is that I'd say we get probably 60% of the people on the very first call say, hey, you know, my uncle's doing the tax returns that we're, we're good. He can continue doing it or my aunt's doing it or we've got this person that's really helped us all the way through. I, I want to keep them on. I would say within eight weeks, they're like, you know what? Hey, I like I like this process. Why don't you guys go ahead and do the tax return? <laughs> and they upsell, they upsell right there. But the beauty of the whole process is they don't come back to me to do it. They just tell their CFO. The CFO pulls the model back up, clicks on the tax return. Here's the new price. Let's our administration know. And boom, they're off and going without having me even involved. You know, it's kind of funny because I'll find out you know, a year later. It's like, oh, we're doing that form again. Oh, they they told me for sure they were they didn't want that done. <laughs> and now we're you know we're doing it as part of their their service there. But it's it's done and controlled by the CFO. It, the sales team doesn't have to come in at all. The biz dev team doesn't have to come back in. So yeah, it's really easy to upsell. And then it's also easy to, easy to downsell too, you know, as opposed to lose a client. You know, maybe they want, they want, they've got so many payables that they want to bring somebody in house. Well, that's cool. Here's the new, new fee, bring that person, oversee that person. And here's the new fee for it. We didn't lose a client. We just maybe downgrade our service a little bit because they, they, they wanted a different feel, look, or, or whatever in that regard. So it makes it really nice when we go both up and down. Powerfully unique approach to all this. So, Jody, you've written a couple of books on this topic. Tell us what they're about and how, where you can find more information. Yeah, well, the first book I wrote was called Digital Dollars and Cents. It, it, it was designed for our clients to really kind of figure out, hey, here's how here's how a creative agency, here's, here's how a service-based company works, here's the utilization numbers. Agile, it kind of walks through and defines all that, you know, stuff accountants, we already know, you know, that's, it's pretty, the crumbs are really basic, but for our, our clients, it doesn't. And so it kind of breaks that down and that can be found on Amazon. And then the, uh, the other ones, you know, basically build a um, CFO firm in the cloud. Um, and, and you can, you can get that pretty, pretty easily. And w- with that, it just kind of walks you through the steps and everything that we've done. You know, we're, we're pretty much an open book uh, firm. You know, we, have everything available for everybody to kind of mimic what we've done and kind of learn from our successes and failures, more importantly, failures, because we've had a lot along the way. It wasn't, you know, hey, we had this idea and it worked perfectly the first time. I mean, we had to try many, many different iterations for it to get, get to work. You know, it really was, our firm really wasn't the success it was, I'd say t- probably 2013. So we went through 11 years of trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, from there on, then it's been great from, from there on and growth has been, you know, unreal. Uh, but w- so with that, we we try to help people out by that. And so you can pop on our website anytime you want. We do offer a course if you're interested in that. Um, and, and that kind of walks you through all the different things. A pretty nice video course that uh, breaks all of our processes down and 
has a town hall associated with it, weekly type of thing. So it's kind of kind of cool. But uh, you know, you know we, we're trying to do everything we can to make this the the norm in the industry. Uh, we don't want to be the the only one. We want to be one of many firms that are doing exactly what we're doing, or make or with a little different twist on it, and making it so that clients are now seeking this out as, as in groves versus just a few here and there type of thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I'd love to see lots of firms adopting some of the things that, that you've talked about here today on the show. So there you have it, folks. You've heard the the taste of how Jody has built his, his $9 million a year firm, still growing. I believe he said doubles every every few years. Every three years. Uh, go, yeah. go check out those resources and, and learn how this has been done so that you can uh, you don't have to start from scratch. This is, this is great stuff. Uh, Jody, any final thoughts before we close out? You know, the, the biggest thing is, is that, you know, when, when people go through a course, they, they love it, uh, but they always make excuses of why they can't do it. You know, don't be one of those firms. You know, if, if you want if you want to do it, there's a ways of getting around it. Believe me, if, if we made that excuse up from day one, we would still be a two-person shop doing a bunch of tax returns. And that's not really uh, the, the model that we wanted to begin with. So I would say just take the risk, you know, take the plunge, you know, and, and go out and, and, and make the change. It's great advice. Jody, thank you so much for being here today and sharing with us so generously uh, all of your tips and, and pieces of advice. Uh, so appreciate you. Thank you. And with that, uh, I think we're a wrap. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2021.